Cameron, I did that body plan church and all that, and to me it's something that'll keep it fun. Um, the CD might have to justify on the board is this CD. Okay, so that's the tape is run through the CD slot. Okay, gotcha. It don't really get any louder than songs of one to two. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully the audio is still set right. Maybe it's not picking up anything that's not in a microphone, but. All right, I'll let you know. This just the camera and all that good stuff. Connor. All right, y'all get. Connor and Jada, get your stuff. They're coming. You get a couple of set aside. Yeah, I think that's good. <laughs> you can adjust them when I get up there. That's when we start recording anyway. Yeah, when you start speaking. Um, so whenever you're ready to get the screen started. Mama, I don't sit with Gabriel and Danica. No, you just get your stuff, you sit down, and you do your thing. All right, um, there's that. That's running. Oh, hold on. Ah! Where are my children? There's Jada. Are they both going to sit up there? Tell them they're being recorded so they get misbehaving. They'll see it. And I will send it to Nana. Okay. Sorry. I think there's a country song called that. Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind with confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is found in the law, blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I had counted as laws for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them the rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, the work that we could not do, we lost as we were through the journey. The confidence that we did not have, we brought the blamelessness that we could not achieve, we were given. Thank you for the work that you have done is good righteous, satisfying the justice of God, and bringing us sinners to you. Lord, may we rejoice in that day by day. May we honor that by the lives we live. May we preach and proclaim your kingdom when you call us home. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I will
one thing you're on microphone anymore, so I haven't had you know he said anything about the microphone being said wrong. I think we actually fixed it last week. I hope we did. Alright, um normally I would tell you to read your bulletin, but most of you if you're listening don't have a bulletin, but it only took me a month to think of this. But Elena has emailed me bulletin thoughts so I put on the church's website. I thought of that last week. Look at, look at me thinking using my brain and stuff. So, <coughs> I, I wish I could blame the difficult times of being taken a month to think of something that was patently obvious in the beginning. There's really not a whole lot going on because there's really not a whole lot going on anywhere. So, go to work, don't get arrested. There you go. It's a good day, right? So the question from last week is, who said, the Lord is my life and my salvation, whom shall I fear? David. David, David said that. That is correct. Now, the key thing is, why does he say that? <laughs> like, I didn't even ask us that. He didn't tell us there would be a quiz on this later. So this is one of the little reminders. What earthly strengths do we have? None. What earthly hope do we have? Christ is the only hope we have. Nothing earthly. Our hope is eternal. It is set ahead of us. It is set above us and beyond us. The psalmist, David, understood this. And I point that out because when living in difficult times, the reminder should be, this is why you don't read your Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Because if you sit there and go, oh, oh, we got a plague. The locusts will be next. And then the sun and moon will turn to darkness. And Jesus is coming back on Tuesday. It's a reminder. Hey, the world is trying to kill me again. It's Tuesday. Jesus is coming back one day. That's part of the reminder. The longing is to look at the Lord and my life and my salvation each and every day, looking to the final day. <coughs> something will get me, something will be bad here, but God is ultimately good and will make things better. So, another easy one. Who was Abraham's nephew who traveled with him to Canaan? <laughs> See, you don't even have to Google. There. I will get this posted on the website so you can look at it. But you know this, you know this is in Genesis. The homework is read chapters 12 through 14 and 19 and see if you can figure out why this guy. I'm going to bring this to you by hands. See, there's homework in there. There's, a, there's an eternal value to figuring out some of the intercommunal relationships in the Old Testament. So check that out. See if you can figure out who we're talking about and why he is. Anything else I'm forgetting? Anything you need to be reminded of? The world didn't open up while we were on that. Right. Right. Everything <coughs> We're not under surveillance this morning, so that's a plus. <laughs> we passed. So apparently, whatever our number was last week that we couldn't exceed for cars, we did not exceed it because they didn't come knocking on the door. So I guess that's a good thing. Future for the Rockford Rescue Mission, unknown right now. As far as their own, they actually have a like, chapel service daily where um, after dinner is done, they have area people come in and do Bible studies. They're not having any of that right now. They've sent out a request, I'm going to try to do one this week, for area pastors and Bible teachers to do uh, 15 minute videos that they can upload to YouTube that the mission can then use during their devotion times and meals. So I'm going to get one made for uh, Charmel and send it to her. Week, and that's kind of right now how they're doing everything. So, even the mission is going to be trying. Um, sure. 
they do have a case. Charmel is working from home as far as church relations. So all of their people that are actively doing something in the building are working from home. Uh, Daryl and Ginger got the meal truck up last week today, so we have five minutes and then loaded. Yeah. Yeah. Once they got that unloaded, it's like, get out of here. We appreciate it. Now go. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying they're rude at all. But it's one of those, you don't have a choice because you're trying. They've got to cover themselves and they've got to protect the power many people they have. And Charmel said there when I spoke to her on the phone that they're not uh, seeing a decrease in the number of people they're serving. So, yeah, we have to. So they're, they're taking precautions. This, this is just what needs to be done with this. I, Nice when the world gets back to working again and we can stop looking at each other like we're all oh, high married. That. They so, yeah, this, this just might be a thing for a while, but it's rather that than what we're strangling each other with right now. So, <laughs> hopefully, this gets back to normal. Hopefully, we can figure out everything. We'll actually get back to being church again, you know, the way we normally are. Because that's in the aggravation. You can't handle this piece of the because you don't know who you're going to carry anything to. So, phone, phone lines are getting. Yeah, it's some point we'll get sooner than later. All right, that's everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 Charlene Pang, say hello. I know they had something on Facebook yesterday. Most part, I'm always amazed that we have everybody on Facebook, but nobody uses the church's Facebook or anything. So, so I put stuff up there, and everybody's like, "How do I get this?" Well, you don't have Facebook, right? It's not you. Yeah, so check for updates on the church's website, the church's Facebook page, because from there I can pretty much link to everything else. So anything that we've got that we can put up there, I can link from there, and that kind of hopefully gets the next time that way. If that's everything, then I'm going to stop so we can continue to uh, go on board.
generations would be 49 AD, and then you usually get 1 Corinthians around 50, and then you get 1 Thessalonians around 51. So one of Paul's earliest writings. This is helpful because it allows us to put the beginnings of Christian theology being exegeted and systematized. So that's really what Paul does. What Paul does in all of his letters is he really takes Christian theology as taught by the apostles, as given to them by Christ, but he puts it in an, in an orderly, logical manner. Paul and I would get along really well because we think the same. We don't write the same, but we think the same. We think in ordered, logical ways, and that's how Paul presents Christianity. Peter and I would probably have more problems because Peter's a better storyteller. You can see that in the Gospel of Mark where the stories are woven together differently. So this is going to help us. Now, why are we dealing with this time period? We are two decades in from the resurrection, so the earthly ministry of Christ has ended two decades prior. Christianity is growing, believe it or not, thanks to Rome. We are living, well, we are not, but they are living in a time period in history known as the Pax Romana, literally the Roman peace. One of the advantages of having a brutal dictatorship own everything is that if you would like to go against that brutal dictatorship, what typically happens? You get killed. So after enough time goes by, who goes against the brutal dictatorship? Nobody. And you actually saw this in the Mediterranean world from around the early turn of the millennium to about the, uh, the, the mid-200s AD, what's known in history as the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. They have roads, they have armies, they have governors, they have security. The reason why Paul could travel on his missionary journeys, you know, those fun little things they stick in your, in your book, Nick, back your Bible, you've got the book of Acts in there. The reason why Paul could make those journeys is because there were shipping routes, there were trade routes, and roads, actual paved roads, believe it or not, some of which in Italy they still actually drive on today. How depressing is that? Like, they're building a bridge on 20 right now, they'll I guarantee you they'll rebuild it before I'm eligible for retirement. They're literally in Italy driving on roads that are 2,000 years old. It shouldn't be complicated, but apparently it is. Two thousand years from now, it's going to be a crater. Someone will have been sick of body you and blown it up. So, because of what Rome is doing, the gospel will be able to go forward. This gives new uh, understanding and declaration to the fullness of time in Galatians 4. The things that are happening are happening on God's timetable. The gospel is bearing fruit, the church is growing, the word is going forth. Now, as far as the city itself and the people writing the letter, that actually gets handled in verse 1, so we will handle it there. Before we do that, let's read all of chapter 1. Ten whole verses, I think we can handle that. <laughs> Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, the love by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know, what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, and not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. 
For they themselves report about, uh, report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the, from the wrath to come. It's a long introduction, isn't it? But that's basically what this is, an introduction to the letter. Now, let's dive right in, because we have some details to cover. Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy. Right, who are these people, right? You know who Paul is, but just in case, like you, you fell down and hit your head and you're napping too much, Acts chapter 9. Saul, same guy, by the way. You have a Let me go ahead and just spell this right now. Get a whole fucking get mad at me when I say this. Like, I shouldn't say this out loud, but I'm going to say it anyway. Paul doesn't get his name changed to Paul because God gives him a new name because he got saved. Okay? Not uncommon in this world, when you're raised in Israel, you have a Hebrew name. Because now, when you go to work, what predominant language are you using? Greek. It's not Hebrew or Aramaic. It's Greek. Uh, Latin would be in high court functions. You use Greek in your day-to-day life. So day-to-day. if you were, so think about this. If you're a, uh, this would be a good example. If you're a fisherman in Capernaum, you know, like Peter and John were, and you're selling fish to Roman soldiers, you're an Israelite selling to Romans. At work, for their official documents, they would be using Latin. You're at home, you'd be speaking Aramaic. But when you were selling fish to them and negotiating prices, you would speak to one another in Greek. Now, what we would do in language is translate your name. So you don't just get the name Saul, your Hebrew name, you would get the name Paul, a Greek name. Same dude. It's not like, oh, he's a new guy, so a new name. No, he just begins going by a Greek name predominantly. Why? What is Paul's ministry predominantly to? The Gentiles, a Greek-speaking people. It's a way of becoming all things to all men so that he might save some, as he declares to himself. So this guy is breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, and he went to the high priest, asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way that is followers of Christ, both men and women, isn't he a peach? he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up, enter the city, and you'll be told what you must do. That's a pretty big kickoff. The voice Paul must do, he's alive for a couple days, and an ice comes in, he restores his sight. God tells him he will tell him all the ways in which he will suffer for his name. There's a good kickoff in ministry. Hey, let me tell you how miserable your life is going to be from this point forward. Buckle up, Iron God. There's Paul's ministry. So that's Paul. He is leading this little cohort. But just for fun, and just to show the interconnectedness of your New Testament, who's the last? Acts 15 helps us out with that. Paul chose Silas. And left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. This is key because what, what great big, you know, time, what great big church event happens in Acts 15? The tongues. What is it? Pentecost. Pentecost. It's the Jerusalem Council. Ah. The argument over what do you do with the Judaizers, the Pharisees that are kind of quote unquote becoming Christian but requiring people to follow the law of Moses before they can become Christian. The Jerusalem Council was Acts 15. And the end of Acts 15 is the beginning of Paul's missionary work, his second missionary journey. 
first missionary journey is up through the Galatian region, and that's where the false teachers had come in. That's why you see Paul writing a letter to them after this to refute the, to refute the false teaching that is still trying to creep in despite what's going on in Jerusalem. But Paul now embarks on a second journey where he visits these churches and then continues on and travels even further. Silas, otherwise known as Silvanus, goes with him. But that's not the end of this guy's story. This is what's so cool because you get things like 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, who gets credit for writing 1 Peter? Peter. Peter. That's the reason it's 1 Peter. It is a letter of Peter. But here's the fun thing. This is, I'm, I'm asking a very technical question. Did Peter write 1 Peter? No, he didn't. Just like you also don't see Paul writing the majority of letters. That's why you can see in things like, I think it's Galatians, or toward the end of the letters, as you can see with what such big letters I write this with my own hand. He makes a point to say that he's actually writing that part of it because for the rest of the time he's dictating the letter. He's, you know, he's thinking, going through these things, and somebody else is writing it down. You see this in First Peter, because in chapter 5, he says, Through Sylvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Peter actually tells you that Sylvanus is writing while he is talking. So Sylvanus is kind of a cool character. He gets to travel around with Paul, he's hanging out with Peter. I don't know if he gets executed with Peter, because Peter gets executed shortly thereafter, but you know, somebody's got to do something. And Timothy. Now you know Timothy, he's got two letters written to him, not from him, but to him. But he has a fun history as well, Philippians chapter 2. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his, what about Timothy's, proven word that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. That's pretty high praise for Paul, isn't it? Paul actually tells Timothy in the letter to Timothy that he is his true child in the faith, and he wishes grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father upon him. Timothy is Paul's true child. While not his physical child, he is his spiritual child. Now, they are writing to who? To the church of the Thessalonians. I know what you're thinking. What the Thessalonians? Well, Thessalonians is the person from Thessalonica. Or if you want to get technical, some people like to say Thessalonica. I don't even know which one's writing. You know what? I like air. I like Thessalonians. I like Thessalonica. We're just going to go with it. If you don't like it, you can send angry emails and I will delete them. No. Thessalonica is the capital city of Macedonia, which is part of the original Greek Empire. Um, if you go back in history, everybody knows Alexander the Great, but people forget the beginning of that empire was started by his father Philip of Macedonia. So even Alexander the Great, who was the great conqueror of all the stuff that later becomes the Roman Empire, is a Macedonian. Thessalonica is the capital of this area since 168 BC. So 100 and 200, what, 20, 200 years ago, give or take, you know, somewhere in that ballpark. Now, that's a big deal for a letter to longevity, but it's also a big deal because the Romans had granted Thessalonica free rule, which means that as long as they didn't cause any problems, as long as they paid their taxes, the Thessalonians ran Thessalonica. That's a big deal because think about Israel at the same time. Do the Israelites run Israel? No, the Romans do. They have a governor, they have the Herodians, the, uh, the Edomites, uh, from their descendant line, kind of calling the shots and running things. Why? Because Israel's a problem child state. They don't follow the rules, they don't keep the peace, 
piece, they revolt everything you think. If the girl said, fine, you're not going to get underneath it. That's all you were doing the same deal. Do your thing, leave us alone, and you can have your city. Just, you know, pay cash every so often. That's all you said. Good deal. We're in. This is a church now in this town of about 200,000 people that was founded by Paul during his second missionary journey. So that journey that embarked at the end of Acts 15. That where Paul traveled through, checked with the Galatian churches, and then continues on through Greece. It was it's, this church was founded during that time. And notice population. This is for this time in the world, this is a big deal. 200,000 people at that part of the rocker. That's that's almost uh, Winnebago County, basically. It's a lot of people in the ancient world. What does their founding look like? Acts chapter 17 actually records it for us. When they had traveled through and you say this, Amphipolis. There is Amphipolis. I keep wanting to put the wrong passes on the wrong syllable there. They traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. Can you imagine this revolt for, for once a week, for three weeks, you go to the synagogue and you argue with these people and try to convince them. He's a braver man than I am, apparently. Explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. So as we go through this letter, this is going to be important to remember. This is a church started by people well-grounded in the Old Testament. To say you're a God-fearer is not a, it's not a loose category. So when your New Testament speaks of God-fearing Greeks, that's an actual official designation of people. Those are Gentiles who are either converted or converting into the faith of Judaism. They are at the synagogue, they are welcomed in, they are learning, they are studying, they are growing. All going to the synagogue every day and convincing them of the fulfillment of the Old Testament in Christ is a continuation of that. He's not creating a new foundation, he's building with Christ upon the foundation of the Old Testament that they already had. So he's not speaking to people that you can just walk through the market and convince them that, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. They were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for the fulfillment of God, and he has convinced them that Christ is it, I would say rightly. So when Paul is explaining and exhorting these people, he is doing so on a basis that they actually know and understand and are learned and educated in the Old Testament. That's helpful because they have a foundation that we can then also understand and somewhat assume because of where we operate under. Same idea that we have Old Testament that is plain and new. So we'll be using that as we go through first you know who it came from, you know who it went to, now we want to know what. What he actually said, <laughs> we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Now, this is twofold. One, this is just what Paul does. Uh, Romans 1, he says, I give thanks, to, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. He says this in Colossians 1, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Philippians 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. You see the pattern here? Paul prays for fellow believers. This is a good thing to learn and follow. Um, just think about how that is when I said that out loud. Hey, all the apostles did something. We should pay attention to do the same thing. 
of the Greeks, we shouldn't have to say for a thousand dollars, but we do anyway. We have access to, we talked this morning, we want our church back. And we do. We want life to return normal. We have people that we can't go see because we don't want to get anybody sick, and we miss the people that gather here. But let's also not forget that when we talk about the church, we are talking about two groups. We are talking about the group here, and we are talking about the group that is literally worldwide. We have brothers and sisters in Christ in every corner of this globe. And I actually had some proof of it in our own little thing. I said something bad about this morning that I was going to mention to begin, but with the recording that we're doing, because so few people are here, there's a fun little thing because they track everything on the internet. So every week after we're done using this audio live stream, it gives me the option of getting the recording and then posting it. And then posting it on that website on Podbean for people to look for. So I just do that. It takes five seconds. I hit get recording and post it. People can download it. We have had downloads of our worship services from literally six continents. Now, how people find that, I have no earthly idea. We have multiple downloads from Germany. We have multiple downloads from Asia. I have no idea why. I have no idea if it will continue. I don't worry about it. I look at it and go, that's just cool. And then I continue doing what I always do because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. But it's a good little reminder for us that our little group gathered on a Sunday morning and sent something out there. People literally across the globe go, hey, look, they're worshiping Jesus too. I want in. That's a connection that we have that we do not have to be unbeliever, that we need to be mindful of because too often our tendency is to be drugged into the world and her issues rather than standing above the fray and declaring that it's right. Now, Paul specifically mentions why he remembers these people in these prayers, and it has to do with verse 3, which is who they are and what they're doing. So, constantly bear in mind your work of faith, what we call their acceptable offerings to God. Because remember, work and faith actually go together. James 2. Faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. To say that I believe in something and not actually do anything about that is basically useless. We've used this example before, we'll use it again real quick. If I'm standing on the plane and I'm looking at the mountain we're about to crash in, and I go, all right, I've got my parachute. If I jump out and pull the cord, the parachute will save me. You gonna jump? Maybe. But if I jump, it'll save me. I know that's fact. It will save me. What do you now know about me? Do, do I think do I think that parachute is going to save me? No, because if I did, in the mountains right there, what would I do? No, John, Christian, if you know that the world and her patterns lead to death, and you believe that Christ has redeemed you from those things, but you engage willingly in them and wallow in them anyway, do you believe that you? things. That's what James is getting on about. Your faith, if it is a changing faith, and by definition, any faith in Christ is a changing faith because it brings the Holy Spirit, changes you, new creation, dead things are gone away. You are now new in Christ. Therefore, something will look different. There will be a desire, an inclination, and an action that will be different day by day. It won't be, you know, mere miraculous 180 turn overnight, but there will be something that you can look to and point to as a work of faith. Paul is seeing that in these people, so he's 
They also have a labor of love. Why? Because the salvation of Christ is meant for work in his kingdom. It's one of those things that we always forget about. So that always ask is work bad? Can you prove that theologically? If you say no, well, can you prove it? I can't. Well, Paul does say that, but there's actually a better answer, I think. Before sin came, was there work? Yes. Adam and Eve were put in the garden and told to tend and keep it. That is work. It wasn't drudgery, it was joyful. I mean, tending the garden was simply, you're like, you know, we got too many cherry trees over here. They did really well. So you don't want to over there. And that, that, that was fun. We were just going to take our food spread out some more. It was easy. There weren't thorns and thistles and fertilizer and worry about the stuff dying in the ground. We had things that we did, though. Work in and of itself was good. Sin corrupts work because it takes the joy of service to God and adds other motivation. That's when you ask people, why do you go to work? Well, I'm very passionate about not starving. But is that a good reason to go to work? No, no, it's not. Well, because my boss will fire me if I don't. That's not a good reason to go to work either. Society will look down on me. You Christians will call me lazy. None of those are good reasons to go to work. But a lot of them are reasons why we do things. No, I go to work because God has provided an opportunity for me to serve him through this avenue. Therefore, I do it, and I do it well in service to him. That's a good reason. This is a we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God doesn't just redeem you and then go, well, now what do I do with it? He's redeemed you because now I have things for you to accomplish in my kingdom. Like the great prophet who said Sam once said, Daniel, get to work. This is what Christians do. So they have a work of faith, a labor of love, and a steadfastness of hope. We actually covered this a little bit last week. They have a forward-looking life. 1 Corinthians 15 again. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If Christ is an avenue for you to stay healthy, have a good marriage, live a good life, and die missing. All of those things are products of the goal of right living in this place, which is worship and service rendered unto God. Now, if you do that, a lot of those things will occur. But guess what? Will they always occur? You ever met somebody who's just gone to work every day, done a good job, and they didn't get rich? <laughs> yes, welcome to humanity. Yes, the, the vast majority of us. And this is important. Does that mean their work was bad? No, there's a segment of Christianity that's like, what? Because they didn't get rich and they didn't get famous, they didn't get exalted. Well, that's not the point. What did Jesus tell you to do? Exalt yourself? No, be humble. Get to the front of the line. No, live at the back of the line. Your life should be lived as an offering to God, knowing that what you're doing here is not for here, but it is for an eternal kingdom that God is building. That is a hope and a steadfastness of hope. Now, Finally, where are all of those same things? So, our work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness, and hope are grounded where? In our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. We are grounded and rooted in Christ. This is not unusual for Paul. Second Peter. Brethren, 
Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing for you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied for. We need to learn about Christian living. What Paul was talking about, the active work of faith. This is where we get it wrong. How do I know that I'm saved? What do you love? What are you living for? What are you serving? What are you hoping for? The answers to those questions will tell you whether or not you are a saved individual. Because I'm loving and living for this world, and the answer is no. But I'm loving God, living for God, serving God. Well, there you go. You're secure. Because it's what sinners don't do. It's what unredeemed people don't do. They do not live for and love God. They hate Him. So if you're living for and loving Him, that's a trigger for you. That's why I don't worry about, you know, when we got somebody in the water or what song did we sing. Somebody asked me that one time. Well, what song are they singing when you came forward? No idea. The fact that you do scares me a little bit. <laughs> I mean, if, if you don't know when you're in a Baptist church, just say, just as I am. That's like, that's like the last song required by law that's sung like 40 Sundays a year in most Baptist churches. It's not a bad song, right? Just that gets burned out. Sorry. <laughs> but that's, that's about me. This is about me. How, what's my security? How do I know? Well, I know that what he has promised he will deliver. And if I am living for him, then that means he has changed me, which means I, I'm in. And once I'm in, because I'm held by him, I can't get out. So now I have security. I'm not looking to something external, I'm looking to something internal. In verse 12, since we had so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that's ultimately what verse 11 is like, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. Laying aside the sin which so easily entangled us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How should we do that? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, we are secure and grounded in Christ because he's the only one who can secure and ground us. Paul continues, verse 4, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. This is key. Why are they secure? Because God has secured them. <clears throat> Which people would stop that angle? The angle is just right. Somebody drives down the road and glares off the car and the parking lot. How does that happen? Glad you guys No, the next angle is worse. It's like, I'll just take the blind one. They are secure in Christ. Christ has secured them. This again goes back to the previous point because I said this before we get mad. I'm going to say it anyway, partially because it aggravates you. But it does not matter whether you have accepted Christ. It matters whether or not Christ has accepted you. There's a difference between those two things because I can say it all I want. How will I know what's true? Rewind what we just talked about in verses 2 and 3. I will know what is true of me based on what I want and how I live. Paul has already said, what about these people? That they're living in this way. Therefore, they can know what? That they are accepted in God. Again, this is not unique here for Thessalonians, Romans 8. We know God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of the Son, in sanctification, to be 
like Christ. So that Christ would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he, he um, And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Meaning he has redeemed them and he has perfected them. It's already accomplished in Christ. It's being worked out now. It has been accomplished. So back to Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in, in the heavenly places in Christ. What spiritual blessings, you may ask? Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us through adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. Should be a very big comfort because if God has done these things to bring you in, who will take you out? No one. Will you be successful? Yes, yes, you will. Because if God has brought you into his kingdom and has said you will be sanctified, then guess what you're gonna get? <laughs> you're going to get sanctification, which means the struggle that we have in life is good. This is why we define physically and worldly bad things as spiritually and good in a Christian context. Because what the world says is bad is pruning us and refining us from them. That's what God calls good. That's sanctification. Looking more and more like Christ. Not desiring the things of this world, but desiring the things of his kingdom. This is good, and it is securely good because God has promised it. God will accomplish it, and God will not forsake his plan. It means no matter how beaten down I feel right here and right now, I know that there is an end in this life. I know that what is good can be accomplished because God has not forsaken or forgotten. So Paul continues, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you. Now, does that not seem odd? What point is Paul trying to make here? Put it this way. Since we don't have time to go through about four chapters in Romans, we'll go into two verses here in Thessalonians. Well, first Thessalonians, probably not saying that long, but there are two of them. If I just told you all of that stuff, and you are a Harry Rod no good sinner, what would be your thought? God's going to redeem you, and he's going to perfect you, and, and he is going to accomplish all of these things. What does the sinful part of the back of your brain start thinking? You start doubting a little bit, but then what does it think about the life that I live? As Romans puts it, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And Paul told them what? No! <laughs> Stop that. You notice what he said. God has made this decision. God has done this. But our gospel did not come in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. We weren't pussyfooting around. We were right there in the midst of it. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Paul immediately goes to, hey, we don't just talk this. We walk this. It's a proof of faith. We come full circle back to where we were in verse 3. Second Corinthians gives you an idea of this. Our proud confidence is this. The testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and 
especially towards you. Where is Paul's boasting? In his weakness, in his reliance upon God. What is our proud confidence? The testimony of our conscience, holiness and godly sincerity, faithfulness. Paul proclaimed the gospel to these people faithfully according to what God has given, and because of that, he's not guilty. He has nothing to fear. He doesn't have to be big. He doesn't have to be strong. He doesn't have to be smart. He doesn't have to be wise. He just has to be faithful. That is good news. Why? Why doesn't Paul have to be all of those things? There it is. Romans 10. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? How is it written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. However, they did not all eat the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. See, what does it mean that God uses to change the hearts of many people? He uses the gospel messages proclaimed by the people that he has redeemed and called to himself. So Paul immediately goes to that. There's no excuse. This group of your faith is the faithful living that you do for God's kingdom. There is no escape. And you're going, there's no escape. You know what you just proved about yourself? You're not changed. Because the faithful Christian goes, I'm not, I'm not out, I'm in. And the thing that I'm doing, the thing that I seek to do to faithfully follow after Christ is the thing that he rewards and calls me to and empowers me to do. The thing that I want, the thing that he gives, the thing that he gives, the thing that I want. Why? Because I'm in him. If I don't want the things that he's giving, then I'm not in his name. I'm not walking the walk because I don't want to. Because I have not been redeemed. What's the call? Repent. Trust in him. Know that he forgives those who come to him. Know that he redeems those who cry after him. That's all said. So, what did the Thessalonians do? Make this point. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. This is good. This is what they're supposed to do. This is Christian living down through the century. First Corinthians 4. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, you would not have any fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, I beg you, be imitators of that's, that's 11. He says it twice. See? That's the point. What does he want? I have pointed you in the right direction. I am walking in that direction. Please, if you're going to follow somebody, follow me. Now, think about that for a second. How many of us in our Christian walk would say that? How many of us would say to someone who is struggling, please, for the love of God, follow after me and do what I'm doing? <laughs> so you're like, you're just going to go ahead and lost your mind. <laughs> That's literally what Paul just said. I don't care how many teachers you have. I can birth you in the gospel. Follow me. See, this is important because if we can't tell people to follow where we're going, we have to ask a very important question. Where are we going? <laughs> and if we're that worried about where we're going, Christians, we're not doing the walk rightly. And did I tell you to be perfect? No. 
but I am telling us to be better. Better than what? Better than me yesterday. See, there's the standard. There's my metric. I learned to be better than you. That would be pointless because you know who I'm not? He's who? I can't be better than Christ because he has not finished me yet. But you know who I can be better than? Me. I can be better than me tomorrow. And then on Tuesday, I can be better than me on Monday. And that's my battle. So what am I, what am I doing? The things, that it's, the things that I am afraid that you will see, there you go. Start killing those. And you all know what they are. Because the minute I said that, you can flash in your mind like, oh, I'm so glad there's not cameras in my house and I'm in that. Or I'm so glad there's not cameras in my car. I'm start killing those. There's the sin that entangles. Those are the things that pull you down. Because you are following after Christ, you are a disciple. You are all also supposed to be making disciples. Of who? Who's standing around looking at you? There's your ministry. So they became imitators of us as of the of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. See, this is where I cheat because I barely believed it. I only read the beginning of Paul's ministry in Thessalonica. We didn't read the second half of it. Who wants to read the second half? We were in 17, Acts 17, 1 through 4. Now let's read 5 through 9. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob. That's never good. It's never good when jealous people form a mob. And they set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason and were seeking to bring them out to the people. Now when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the whole world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things, and when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. How would you like to get a church started? And then, like, you're sitting around one day, and, you know, pitchforks and torches start banging on the door and drag you to court. But Jason's probably lucky he got to court. Because the last time a pitchfork and torches crowd dragged, started dragging people through the streets, it doesn't usually end well. That church flourished. That church with that beginning is who Paul's now writing to. Celebrate. Why is that the case? How many of you would like that to be the beginning of your church life? Be like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna find this little shopping center in Corner Rockford, we're gonna start a little church, and after a couple of weeks of arguing with people, some people start showing up and they're worshiping and they're agreeing, and then you get drugged off to you know by an angry mom. How many of you would be like, hey, that's how I want my church to start? Believe it or not, absolute best way could have gone back. Because you know what you know the next Sunday when everybody shows up for church? They're serious about this. Like, because how long do you think it took for that story to go around? Did you hear what happened to Jason? Like he was having lunch and all of a sudden you're like, get your butt out of here. Ah! Like you know everybody who showed up to church next Sunday, they were in. They were in. Why? Because you can stand firm then. You can stand firm under anything. First Corinthians 3. Do you not know? that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you, 
if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. He's not talking about the body of believers. He's talking about literally the body of the believer. You, the temple of the Holy Spirit, God dwells in you. You are secure. This is why he tells the Roman church in chapter 5 that we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance for good character, for good character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who is given to us. This is something to celebrate. If you can keep a church together in the midst of that, you can keep a church together in the midst of anything. This is why I rejoice about the number of people who are actually caring about our church during this time. And I'm talking about our people. Not just the ones that are here, but the ones who are taking the time to connect to us online. The ones who... Several people have literally dropped off an offering because you know, we know attendance is down. We'd like to be able to keep paying for everything that we pay for. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm part of that. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> My family likes eating. They, they're, they're fat about the <laughs> They're very passionate about not starving to death. But why is that a concern? Because they care about their fellow believers. They care about the church. They care about the kingdom work that we are doing day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in and year out. This is how they do. If they're willing to stay connected during this, they're connected. They're plugged in. And that is good. Conversely, that's why it's such a big deal to reach out to people. Because if we can move them during this, you know what we're revealing? We're pruning a lot of hearts, aren't we? A lot of people are deciding what's important. I'm not saying anybody's not saved because they haven't connected to the church during this time. What I'm saying is, if it's not even a thought process, Life can so easily drift to other things. Where did it really fall in the scale of the universe? Is it just something you did because it was something you want to work? Well, not that I want to work every day. It tests and purifies the heart. And that's good. Because now you know, and we know, and everybody knows who you are, what you care about, and what's important. This is good news for the church. Verse 7. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia. This is good. This is what we should be. We should be a witness. This is one of my favorite church history things. Um, Alright. Who knows the theologically technical term for someone who dies for the faith? What do we call that word? It's a martyr. Now, we transliterate that word into English because that's not like an English thing. It's a Greek word that has a meaning that does not mean somebody who dies for the faith. That's the English meaning of the word martyr. The Greek meaning of the word Who thinks they know what the technical definition of a martyr is in Greek? Let's get closer, though. It's a witness. One who gives testimony. We in English take it as a word for someone who dies for the faith, because what happened to a lot of the people back then who witnessed for the faith and gave testimony to it? They died. It is one heck of a testimony. This is one of the reasons why the church continued to grow the Roman Empire when the Romans were killing people. You see, after a while, if you just keep killing people, you run out of people to kill, right? Unless you're doing what? Making more of them. One of the primary ways they made more of them is people in the Colosseum watching Christians being fed to lions singing psalms. Like that, those two things don't usually go together. Like, we don't do this now, we don't sing psalms, but just, just imagine 
that you're stuck in the Colosseum tied to a stick. And they, they turn the lines out. And your only thought is, God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. 
In other words, pick one. You can't serve both. What do you do? But the people did not answer in the word. See, this is what we have to do. This is the genesis. This is the birth of modern apologetics in Christian life. This is the goal of the of defending the faith. Is taking the world's rug away. Not allowing them to steal from God and then try to argue against him. We, we do this, we, we talk about this. If I drop this tape like that, what's going to happen? Gravity's going to pull it down. How many times is that going to happen? Like, am I ever going to throw this in the air and it's going to fall? And it's not going to fall, it's going to float. Why not? Why is there gravity? Because that's the way God made this place. See, when the atheist tells you that there is no God and everything is random chance, then randomly, eventually, what should happen? It should. So what they're saying is we have an ordered and designed universe by random chance. So take a puzzle, put it in a box, and just keep shaking it until it puts itself together. It's the same argument. No, no, it doesn't. That's the argument. If we just shake it enough times and in the right way, because even if I gotta shake it in the right way, what am I doing? I, I cheated. Gotta keep shaking it. Because here's the other part. If everything is random, when did the shaking stop? <laughs> so if you keep shaking the box with the puzzle in it, will it ever get put together? No. My other thing, the other way to put this is like this is like an explosion going off in a Ford plane and a, and a, and a Mustang coming out. Does that ever happen? Like, if we set off some nitroglycerin in the, in the Ford plane and just blow the place up, is, it, is, is that explosion of car parts going to produce an F-150? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's where Lincoln's come from. <laughs> no, that doesn't happen. Why? In order to make an F-150, you have to do what? You have to design it, organize it, and put it together. Welcome to the world that you live in. The, the world wants to reject God while sitting in his they want to steal his design. They want to steal his ideas. They want to use that to argue against him. Don't let them do it. Stand firmly and make them choose. If the world is random, then everything is random. Your thoughts are pointless. You need to go away. I'm talking about Make them choose. Make them know where you stand and why you stand there. Welcome to the Thessalonians. Is there any need for Paul to be a reporter? He doesn't have to. He's just got to tell the people, I'm writing a letter to the Thessalonians. Oh, man, you guys are awesome. I know them. Because the words went out. And not only do we know them, we know who they are. For they themselves, verse 9, report about us what kind of reception we had with you. How you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Wouldn't that be lovely if that was a report from all of us? This is what Peter talks about, First Peter 2. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, the unbelievers, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be love of your good deeds as they observe and glorify God in the day of visitation. The world doesn't like Christianity. The world in general doesn't like any religion, but they really hate ours. Should they respect it? Yeah, they should. Why? Because they respect us. When they mentioned that, you know, the article I read last week, that churches are going to be open on Easter because that's the biggest attendance and giving day of the year. 
they think we're getting together just so we can cash more checks. We've done something wrong in our presentation. And the people that make that message the loudest, we haven't kicked them hard enough. This is why I make a big deal about our eternal focus rather than our our eternal reward rather than earthly prosperity. Because if we for a second slip, that's the only thing they're going to say. That's the thing they're going to remember. Our lives should be testimonies of the eternal kingdom and the eternal God, not an earthly one. And if we aren't doing that, we aren't being the testimonies and the witnesses rightly. We're not following the example right. We have to do this day in, day out, which is why, again, what's, what's my standard? Who am I better than? Me. I'm better than me. What do you mean you're better than me? Well, I'm better today than I was yesterday. Welcome to sanctification. The long slog climbing the ladder. Holy Spirit keeping you up. Oh, wait, you go. <laughs> we'll let you fall back down. Well, you're gonna go. You can't get up. You're stuck. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Now you know why your back is killing you when you get to 40. Because the Holy Spirit's been kicking your tail so long you got sciatic problems. <laughs> There you go. We just explained it, right? Okay, you know what? Everybody wakes up with their backs. But this is important. You should probably say this also. They should also respect our sincerity and conviction. Because that's the most important thing. I don't care what you think of me. But know where I'm going and know what I believe. Because if you don't, then what have I failed to do? I failed to write the explanation. Don't have to worry about that as long as you do it. They are recording what? Perception we had, how you turned to God, your reputation, and who you are. And finally, to wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath of God. They have a patient faith. They are living. Hebrews 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gain approval. See, this is how we live. This is how we function. <laughs> this is what we do day in and day out. We live longing and waiting. Why? We've been rescued. This is what Christ has promised. Uh, John 3, very end of the chapter. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son will not see life for the wrath of God abides upon him. We don't fear wrath. We don't fear it here. We don't fear it here or in the world to come. Because it's already been removed and taken away by Christ. So there's no wrath here for me. The world may think it has some of my power there. There's none. There's nothing. They can't take me out of the hand of God. So the bad things they do, I don't care because I'm faithfully serving and waiting. Notice that. Moving forward. I wear. Is secure. Colossians 2. When you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is where our worldly stops. That is where our selfishness and our pride and our sin needs to come up. And what is left is a new, a new creation in God. You want to 
that it looks like this one. Now, Paul is not writing this letter to them, which that's a really heavy part, because like every Christian, they have problems. Although, in the grand scheme of the New Testament, there's a problem we all probably would like to have. So to go through this, to remember who these people are, why they're there, and what they're doing, and then apply the truth of Paul's teaching right to Christians. Doesn't it sound like what we should be doing this day in, day out, remembering who we are? How we got here, why we're here, and where we are going. Well, I don't know how to get there. We should do with the book. As we live day by day, applying those principles, pruning out sin, who are we doing better than? Me, yesterday. You, yesterday. You, 10 years ago. You, 15 years from now, we better be doing this. Because we actively pruning and working and living so that the world will be without excuse. So that the kingdom will be grounded and established and grow, so that disciples will be made, life will be strengthened, and God will receive praise. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the work that you have done, the work that you continue to do, because we are still here. You are still working, you are still functioning, and you are still saving. You are redeeming, and you are growing us. We pray that you will continue that great work. Strengthen us that as we fall short, you pick us up, and as we look back, that you may spur us forward, that we would be focused on your work, your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just keep praying for everybody, trying to connect.
about it. If you hear of any problems, let us know. We'll share and help anybody out the best we can and continue on and set the table until the Lord returns home. Let's pray. Lord, again, we leave this place grounded in your word that we meet people who call us to be patient, faithful, longing, and waiting, serving your people who are by Christ. And we pray.